talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie. Well, you've heard me talk on this show about the Major League Baseball Players Union and MLB in general in overlooking or forgetting the pre-1980 non-vested players during the 1980-81 collective bargaining agreement. I'm going to be talking to you about that. Welcome, by the way, to Episode 10 of Dirty Kurt's Dugout. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Kurt and support us because we're going to be coming out with some great stuff to make it worth your while in signing up, subscribing, and listening to all these great podcasts. Before I get back to the collective bargaining agreement of 80 and 81, and I'll tell you why it came to the forefront today and why I want to talk about it again, the Major League Draft was just held June 4th through June 6th. We all saw it, if you're a baseball fan. It's broadcast 24-7 on the MLB network, and I've got a young man that's going to come on this show, and for good reason, because not only was he drafted, but he also has a four-year scholarship offer from Cal State Fullerton. And in the 40th round, with the 1,191th pick, this is what Michael Knorr heard the commissioner of baseball say. The San Diego Padres select Carlsbad High School's right-handed pitcher, Michael Knorr. Mike, I want to welcome you to the dugout. Sit on the pine with me, and let's talk for a few minutes. Congratulations, son. Thank you very much, Mr. Bavakla. It means a lot. What a lot of people don't know is Michael Knorr and quite a few other pretty good high school players uh, that are in San Diego right now played on a team that I put together. And that's the reason I was so excited for him. But now, Michael Knorr faces decisions. What to do? Now, he might know exactly what he's going to do. But after I saw his name come up on the board, I started thinking about what is he going to do? What if the Padres call him and say, Mike, we want you to get into our minor league system and develop in our minor league system, not in college. What do you do in a situation like that? I mean, it's it's all exhilarating. It's a tough decision to make. But here's a young kid that is just starting to develop, and that's what I think because I think he's got more developing to do where he's going to get better. He's going to get increased velocity. He's going to come up with breaking balls and off-speed pitches that he didn't have in high school. And he's going to be one heck of a professional pitcher one day but Mike what has gone through your mind since June 6th when you were drafted by the Padres in everything that you're facing right now uh honestly I'm just kind of just taking it easy really just kind of like a eye opener you know hearing my name selected it was just kind of like okay well now I can I can go do it and I know I can because obviously I was picked and and so like that kind of reassurement of of knowing that, you know, possibly one day I have the chance of going pro, you know, it's nice. And, uh, you know, I'm just taking it in, really. Well, the first amateur draft was held in 1965. But unlike most sports drafts, 
the first year draft is head, held midseason in June. And it's a spectacle now. I mean, it really is. I mean, they fly kids into New York uh, that they mm-hmm. think might be picked high. There's kids that have draft parties at their schools. And unfortunately for some of them, they never even are selected. But so it's it's kind of a downer for some, but it's exhilarating for others. And you were right. one of the you were one of the eleven hundred. And you know what? It might sound like a big number, but when you compare to all the kids that were out right. there and all yeah. the good players that we see throughout the country, uh, it's it's quite a distinguishing honor to be selected yeah. in whatever round that you're picked by mm-hmm. a major league club. Wow! So you're going to go to school. You've made that yeah. decision, and yeah. that's really that really puts you in a good negotiating position with a club or any draft choice for that matter. And that's the reason that I wanted to have you on the show because I started thinking about it, and I started thinking about all the options that you have and all the right. changes that could be made. But evidently, you're going to stick with Cal State Fullerton because certainly mm-hmm. there's other things you can do. I mean, you could say, hey, all of a sudden – I've got professional teams that are interested in me because I was drafted. So why don't I, instead of going to Cal State Fullerton, why don't I go to a JC? That way I can sign after one year and I don't have to wait three. Has Uh, that thought ever entered your mind? Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely not a bad idea. It's just, I personally, if I, I really want to play in Omaha. So that kind of, that deal with Fullerton and how successful they are in Vanderhoek, how great of a coach he is and you know i just kind of want to live that legacy and play omaha one day you know that that brings me back a few years because that's exactly the same reason i elected to go to miami Dade junior college was because i wanted to go to grand junction colorado and play in a national championship game for junior colleges and that's the reason i went to school instead of signing because i got mm-hmm. drafted out of high school too so I hope that that happens for you because it, it happened for me. It was a great experience, and I hope you go. You know what? Cal State Fullerton's so good, and they go to Omaha so many times. They have their yeah. own house there. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, they really do. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a school that is not cocky. That's a school that's confident that they're mm-hmm. going to go back to Omaha quite a few times during the course of the years. They bought a house in Omaha, so they'd have a place to stay and wouldn't have to worry about it. That's pretty good. Well, Mike, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, I love the fact that you were drafted. I'm sure it was exciting. By the way, have they called you yet? Uh, no, they haven't called, but um, they, they shot me a text, and we just kind of like briefly talked about it. But, yeah, it was nothing, nothing really serious. Because the Padres have signed uh, 19 of their 40 draft choices. Okay. So far. So there's still a lot of money out there. Uh-huh. No, but nothing, it doesn't sound like anything's going to change your mind. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty set on, on school right now. Well, good luck with it. Uh, we'll be keeping tabs on you. Uh, we'll be watching. We'll probably come up and, and watch you pitch. Uh, congratulations. Uh, tell your dad I said Thank hello. You. And I will. continued success. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Michael Knorr, sitting on the pine with Kurt Bavakwa and Dirty Kurt's dugout. You know, the 
first-year player draft is Major League Baseball's primary mechanism for assigning amateur baseball players from high schools, colleges, and other amateur baseball clubs to its teams. Uh, The draft order, if you didn't know, is determined based on the previous season standings. If you listen to episode number nine, I was talking to Alan Trammell about the fact that the Detroit Tigers in this year's free agent draft had the number one choice. And even though you really don't want the number one pick, you're kind of happy that you're there because you get your pick of the litter. And that's what happened with the Detroit Tigers this year. Uh, The Padres finished down the line a little bit. I think they were pick number seven or something like that. I'm not, not really sure, but it doesn't matter. Michael Knorr went to him in the 40th round, and you say the 40th round. Let's see. What interest are they going to have with somebody they picked in the 40th round? Well, let me tell you something. Mike Piazza was picked higher than that, and he's in the Hall of Fame right now, and he was signed as a favor to my buddy, Tommy Lasorda, who knew Mike Piazza's father, who owned a pizza shop in Philadelphia. Things like that happen. And you don't know what's going to happen. Mike Piazza had desire, determination, just like Michael Knorr does. I've watched this kid grow up. He's 6'5", 6'6". He weighs about 210 pounds. He's a right-handed pitcher. He's got great stuff. And the one pitch that he has, along with this McGreasy guy that we were talking about, is a changeup. And you don't see a good changeup from high school pitchers very often. Michael Knorr's got one. McGreasy's got one. Cal State Fullerton is going to be fun to watch for the next couple of years. I want to get back to the draft and kind of how it was created because before 1965, the clubs that signed all the players and basically monopolized them were the teams that could afford it, the big money teams. And they voted on this draft during the 1964 winter meetings, and there were four teams – that attempted to defeat the proposal. Who do you think they were? <laughs> yeah. The New York Yankees, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Dodgers, and the New York Mets. All the teams with money. And it got down to the Cardinals being the only team that voted against it. But it was passed. And if you remember, back in June of 1965, the first player ever selected in the amateur draft was Rick Monday. And we all remember Rick Mundy for a lot of things, but we remember him mostly as a Chicago Cub who ran and got the American flag from two kids that brought it onto the field and were going to burn it. And he'll be forever remembered for doing that in baseball, even more so than the stats that he put up in the player that he was. Okay, let's get back to the Major League Baseball players union issue with the pre-1980 non-vested players. And if you remember the negotiation and the thing that we talked about on earlier shows was that the collective bargaining agreement that was uh, negotiated in 1980-1981, the pension rules were changed dramatically. You see, before the CBA was agreed upon that year, players needed four full years of Major League Service to qualify for a major league pension. The maximum was 20. Yeah, 20 years. That's why guys would hang around for so long. You saw guys go into coaching 
and want to hang around because the longer they stayed, the bigger their pension became. Well, the owner's offer during the 1980 CBA discussions was that players would fully vest after only 43 days on a major league roster. That's right. Four years to only 43 days. And after one day on the roster, you were covered on the medical plan. Well, the reason I'm talking about this is because I just read an article that was written in the Wall Street Journal by a former pitcher, and it was very, very interesting. But I want to point out there was a mistake in it, and that's one of the reasons that I want to talk to you about it. Mike Stenhouse wrote this article. Mike Stenhouse was a major league outfielder for a few clubs in the 70s and the 80s. His dad, Dave Stenhouse, pitched for the Washington Senators in the 60s. His dad has more playing time at the major league level than his son does. But his son is going to collect on a major league pension where his father does not, even though he had more time. Now, in all fairness, neither one of them have four years. But the thing that I want to point out and the thing that we're going to get to in the next show, because I am going to try to get Mike Stenhouse on the show, and we're going to talk about this, is one of the things that he reported on. And that thing is that the minimum Major League pension now, or in other words, if a player spends 43 days at the Major League level, he's going to get $34,000. That is not true. And the other thing is about insurance. There's a misnomer out there amongst even former Major League players. This is amazing to me. And it's the reason that this subject is is such a hot topic right now. Because there are Major League players out there that are non-vested, that actually think that players that are vested are covered under the Major League plan forever at no cost to them. And that is absolutely not true. I want to talk to Mike Stenhouse about this. I hope we get can get his dad on. His dad's 84 years old. He's living on the East Coast. He's in good health from what I understand. Mike Stenhouse lives in Colorado, in Pueblo. Uh, he's doing well. He's only 60 years old. He's in business on his own. We're going to get him and I hope his dad on the show, and we're going to talk about this issue because it is an issue for six to 700 players that are out there that are pre-1980 non-vested players, or in other words, they didn't get four years at the major league level because the Players Association took the owner's offer, which was, we'll give you this, but it's from 1980 going forward. So, in other words, if your last day in the big leagues was the season in 1979, you were not covered if you were not vested and and did not have four years of major league service. It's something to talk about, and we're going to. This is Kurt Bavacqua. Episode 10 is in the books. So, like I said in the onset of the show, please go to patreon.com slash Kurt Bavacqua. Check it out, and then be on the lookout for a new offer as far as the subscriptions because I've heard 
that our producers are negotiating with the wine company on the Hoffman bottles, the Gossage bottles, and the Fingers bottles. And there's going to be one heck of a deal coming up. This is Kurt Mabakwa. You're listening to Dirty Kurt's Dugout. I love podcasts because you can download and listen to them at any time. You don't have to tune into a radio station and worry about if you're going to listen to your favorite person from 3 to 6. You can do it at any time. So keep listening. We'll talk to you soon. Mickey and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning. Hank Aaron was beginning. One Robbie going out.